And if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being part. I want to welcome you from Commerce City, Colorado, for joining us for the first time as well online. But uh, so here we are, a couple weeks from Easter. Just a little reminder of those holidays coming up and as we prep and put stickers on our cars and do those kinds of things uh, just to invite people uh, during a time where people want to be invited, quite honestly. So I encourage you to do that as well. Uh, I probably don't need to say this, but I will. There has been um, a lot of discussion over the last few years about immigration, borders, and I thought I'd dive into that this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's, a, there's been a lot of discussion um, surrounding citizenship, uh, what that is, what that isn't. And, but as I look out, I know if I ask the question, how many of you are American citizens? Probably most of you would raise your hand. Not all of you, maybe, but most of you would. And then if I asked you, well, what makes you an American citizen? You would have some response. Could be, I was born here. Um, I married somebody who's an American citizen. Uh, I came as an immigrant, went through naturalization, and I got my certificate of citizenship. In other words, you'd be able to prove what you claim to be. And what's interesting is scripture says that Christians' citizenship is in heaven, which effectively means we're here on this earth and we can be citizens of various countries or whatever, but when our heartbeat stops and we go to heaven, that's where our true eternal home is. Here it's temporal, there it's eternal. And that's what we celebrate as Christians, the hope of heaven. And so if I ask the same question, how many of you are Christians here this morning? Probably most of your hands would go up, not all of you. And I said, what's your proof? You may not so readily be able to answer that question. Like, well, here's my passport, here's my birth certificate. What's your proof? Because that, that's a big deal. Heaven or not. We're going to talk about that this morning. I've entitled this morning's message Citizenship, and we're going to look at how to prove if you're really a Christian. What you and I claim to be here this morning, how do we know if it's true? Now, how to prove if you're really a Christian, not for them, but for yourself. That's the most important piece. We're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 23, all the way through chapter 3, verse 12. A good chunk of scripture here this morning. But as I told you, you know, when you study through a gospel, you, it's, they're narratives, they're stories, so you've got to take the big hunks. So hopefully you bear with me a little bit this morning. We're going to be reading quite a bit of scripture. But hopefully we can discover some of this, these things regarding our citizenship in heaven. Now, the, where we left it last week was Jesus was in Jerusalem. And he went into the temple area because it was Passover. And if you remember, there were money changers in the temple area selling sacrifices at exorbitant prices, exchanging money at high exchange rates, basically gouging people. And so Jesus confronted this issue about making God's house, the temple, just a, a merchant ripoff center with greed and hypocrisy and if you remember he flipped over the tables he he knocked over the money he had a rope and started whipping her he made a scene he made a scene and we talked about that 
last week. But where we pick it up in verse 23 of chapter two is he's still there, he's still there. And the text says, now when he, we're talking about Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now that's interesting, because in John's gospel, which we're reading through, we weren't told of any signs. Signs are codes for miracles, okay? We talked about that a few weeks ago, that these miracles that Jesus did were signs or proof that he is who he said he was, because without that, anybody could say anything. And so, wow, people were believing because of signs he was doing. What, what were the signs? John doesn't tell us. He just said they were signs. Matthew does. Look at Matthew's account of the same situation, Matthew 21, 13. He, Jesus, said to them, the money changers, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. Look at this. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So Jesus was performing miracles in the temple. Jesus was preaching and teaching, but beyond that, he was proving that what he was teaching and preaching was true. And people believed, we're told. Okay? Look at the next verse. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Who? The believers. Why? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus didn't need to hear these people claiming their faith, their belief. He knew their heart. And the text highlights that he didn't entrust himself to them, which it means they may have believed in him, but he didn't believe in them. Why? Because he knew what was going on inside them. And we see that when he first met Peter, if you remember. He met Peter, he saw Peter, renamed Peter. Remember when he met Nathaniel, one of his disciples? He called him out as an Israelite. He knew his heart. And this is super important because we got people believing in Jesus and he doesn't believe in them. And so he knew that their level or form of belief was temporal based on excitement, based on signs, wonders, and it's all going off, but it wouldn't last. So he calls them out effectively. I mean, in a weird way, we're seeing unsaved believers, which is kind of a wild thought. But what's the difference here? The difference here is citizenship in heaven or not. In other words, you can date God and you can claim things all day long, but that doesn't mean it's true. What's the truth? What's going on in your heart? And so when we talk about how to prove if you're really a Christian, number one in your outline, recognize it's more than talk. In other words, we may claim we're believers, but how do we know if that's true? Well, and then we could fill in the blanks with more words. Well, I, I did this, I went forward here, I, I, I prayed this. Well, yeah, but how do you know if it's true? Because these guys were believers. And Jesus said, nah, I don't trust them. I ain't buying it. Because he knows what's going on in here. 
Have you ever sold anything on Craigslist? It's quite the event. You meet a whole culture of people that is very interesting. Um, do you even know what Craigslist is? Okay, okay, good. I'm not swinging a miss. I'll just stop now. And... But you'll find that when you put something on Craigslist, you get calls and everybody's super interested. But kind of the rule of thumb is, unless they show up, don't believe it. They'll talk about how they want to do it. They'll talk about, you know, it gets a price for, okay, what's your address? And you're like, wow, they're coming over. They never come. And then you get somebody else that calls and says, hey, I want to come over. And then you're, you're kind of torn because you're like, well, somebody else has called and they're on their way, I think. Oh, okay, you already sold it. Well, yeah, I kind of did. And then another person, then you can't call them back. And so, so you learn really quick, the game is come over if you want to buy it. Not holding it, not doing anything. We'll see what happens. What? And, and here's the deal. Craigslist reflects culture. Or we could say anything. Super interested in what you're selling. Don't really mean it. Didn't show up. We've talked about this before in culture. Talk is cheap. Because people can say anything at any time. Listen to Jeremiah's reflection on this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Bottom line is we can fool ourselves into thinking we believe, but we don't. So this isn't about sounding Christian. This isn't about... Um, you know, saying the right things. This isn't about having the right answer. If that's our only proof, then it may not be true. And let's face it, we all live in South Orange County, unless you're online, Commerce City, Colorado. Orange County can be the land of duplicity. We're really good at appearances, good at impressions, but we're really bad at transparency. We're good at, 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 at you know, defending versus confessing. We're good at presenting versus revealing. I get this sometimes if I'm just going to the gym or whatever and I run into somebody from church or whatever and we're lifting or something's happening and all of a sudden, you know, F-bomb comes out and they, oh! Sorry. You know, like I'm God Almighty. What do you say? You know, so I'm like, I don't care. It's between you and God. But see, do we go home then and F-bomb our wife and F-bomb this and then and then they come to church and who present? That's what I'm saying can easily happen to where we think, gosh, if I just keep saying I'm a guitar player, then maybe I am. No. Let's hear you. Ouch. So, 
This is an important thing, but you still haven't answered the question, what's the proof? You just told me what not the proof is. Because not the proof is, oh, okay, you know, it's not all about the talk. Okay, then what's it about? We're gonna introduce, and we're gonna look at a conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. Super important conversation. Let's work through it. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay. So we're enter the scene, Nick. Let's call him Nick. So Nick's a Pharisee. You probably know what a Pharisee is, most of you that have come to BCC. It goes back to the Hasidim, it goes back to the Maccabean War, it goes back to like 2 BC when the priests revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes and he was desecrating the temple and, and it was a battle and it was a bloody battle and from the Hasidim came the Pharisees. So the birth of the Pharisees were to protect holiness, God's moral code, the Ten Commandments, all those kinds of things against these evil kings. Over time, it got corrupt to where they were just legalists. And they had so diced up the Ten Commandments into multiple A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G, there was hundreds of laws. I mean, the Sabbath was next level, and we'll see that when we go through the gospel. Jesus will be confronting constantly, and the Pharisees constantly confronting Jesus on the Sabbath. But it got so minute, a woman couldn't even look in the mirror on the Sabbath for fear that she might see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out, and that would be work. So that's the level that these guys work. Now, he's, we're told he is a ruler of the Jews. Now, that's not just a title for the Pharisee. That's another title that he held, which is called the Sanhedrin. They were the rulers of the Jews. There were 70 of them. So he was one of the 70, so he's probably a scribe. He knew what he was doing. He, he was in the top level of religious leaders. So he's not talking to a prostitute or tax collector. He's talking to the pinnacle of who would be the believer, who would claim to be the believer, who would help others claim to be the believer. He was the pastor of pastors. He came at night. Why? Don't know. Some people speculate he was a little nervous. Wanted to talk to Jesus. Didn't want to be, everybody see him, Maybe. Maybe it was just the busyness of the day. He didn't want interruptions. Who knows? Doesn't really matter. But he starts out this discussion, very appropriate. Rabbi, calls him a rabbi. That's an honorable term. We know, those of us that are around, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do what you've done. So it's very positive. We're on the same page, right? Look at Jesus' response. The text says Jesus answered him. Well, he didn't ask a question. But I saw, but he responded. Let's say he responded. Truly, truly, so it's really important. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I.e., go to heaven. I.e., have citizenship in heaven. Unless he's born again. Now, who's he talking to? Pharisee. Keep going. Who else is he talking to? Remember the Sanhedrin, keep going. Who else is he talking to? A Jew. How does one become a Jew? They're born a Jew. 
They're God's chosen people. So birthright is huge in the Jewish mind. It's the key. And what he's telling him, it won't compute. Born again, I've got the ultimate birth. I'm one of God's chosen people. Now, if you're talking to a Roman, okay, maybe he needs to have a different kind of birth, or you're talking to a Gentile, gotta be, you're talking to me. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter second time in his mother's womb and be born? In other words, I don't know what kind of riddle you're trying to sell me, but birth is a kid thing. Why are we talking about it as adults? Jesus answered, truly, truly, really important. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So he's, he's making the distinction because he can hear it in, in, in Nicodemus' mind. Born of the flesh, that's your physical birth. Got it. You got that. But that's, you can't just stop there. You got to go to the spirit. He talks earlier, people made a lot about this. I, I, I really don't think it's that big deal. Unless one is born of the spirit, the water and the spirit, he can neither in the kingdom of heaven. What is being born of water? Probably relates to John's baptism. And John's baptism was calling people to do what? Repent. So it's basically, unless someone is repentant and born of the Spirit, they won't enter the kingdom of God. And then he addresses his Jewish heritage after that. But don't enter the kingdom of God. This is called go to heaven. This is called citizenship in heaven. And he's saying, if you don't have this, it ain't gonna happen. It doesn't matter what you say. Let's keep reading. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now right now, Nicodemus' mind is probably going, because everything in his lane of purview is control, obedience, box checking. And Jesus is saying, no, when the Spirit comes in your life, it ain't about you anymore. It's like the wind. You respond to its feeling. You, you react to its leading, but no one controls where the wind goes, where it came from. No one will control the spirit working in your life and doing what it's gonna do. It's gonna motivate you, it's gonna put you in new ways that you've never experienced before. And he's like, what? How does that work? Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus said to him, you're a scribe, you're a teacher, you still don't get this? Truly, truly, I say to you, really important, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Hmm. So he's highlighting Nicodemus is not a Christian at this point. Some believe he came to faith and we see him later on in the gospel at Jesus' empty tomb. It's a whole other story. We'll get there soon. But pretty, pretty straight up. And then he finishes and says, if I have told you earthly things, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, 
How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, I told you what's going to happen here on earth. You've got to be born again by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will carry you along in new ways and in different ways like the wind does. And, and, and I can't even go past that topic and go into the deeper truths if you don't have the Spirit of God in your life. You won't comprehend it. You can't comprehend it. Because of who you are. There's a very adult statement here by one of our children that was like, whoa, but we're all sinners and deserve God's punishment. Okay, it's a little bit of a flyby maybe with the kids choir, but that's the truth. That's the truth of Ephesians. It says we're born in our sin and we're dead, spiritually speaking. How do you get undead? You can't work your way out. It's got to happen outside of you then it happens to you and that's where the spirit of God comes in and that's where this whole born again discussion is. So basically Jesus is saying, without this Holy Spirit, you can't go to heaven. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes you a Christian, that gives you citizenship, that provides that passport. It's the one that transforms your heart and mind and gives you new perspective. And it confirms or proves if you're a believer or not. Number two on your outline. How to prove if you're really a Christian, you must experience spiritual change. When you trust in Jesus, you must have a spiritual conversion take place. And if you try to do it on your own without the Spirit of God, go for a while, but it won't last. 